Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Sure, you you're gonna sleep very well after this podcast with me tonight. You're gonna feel very relaxed, very at ease, very at peace with the world. You know that just freaks me out more. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, back me up here. Don't you think Georgia is gonna feel that way? I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> you sure? You have a very calming influence on people, Brie. <laughs> that was like a baby velociraptor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a there little cute go. sounding, Wait. actually. I don't know. <laughs> How are you doing, Micah? Do you have any complaining to do before we start the show today? Do you got some complaining to do? <laughs> let's let's do some complaining. Do I'm asking want... an important question. How are you doing, Micah? Uh, doing good. How are you? <laughs> you can elaborate on that. Uh, I am doing well. I <laughs> have not done much uh, out of the ordinary, so there's not really any stories to tell. And that just about <laughs> covers it. You're a secret hmm. agent, right? Like, if you're a spy, you have to tell us. Like, that's <laughs> that's what a spy would say. They'd be like, I'm not doing anything this week. Nothing out of the ordinary. Exactly. Don't worry about me. Uh, yeah. a, C- a CIA agent would uh, would do that exact thing because, you know, uh, saying something would cause the CIA to trigger the, uh, what is it, anthrax tooth that they implant <laughs> in every CIA agent. And, Jesus. Uh, obviously can't that have that. That got dark. Wow. Yeah, that that escalated quick, very quickly. Anthrax tooth. Is that really what they put in the teeth? I want to know well, now. I, mean, I, now can't I have say. to find out. I can't confirm. Oh, right, right, right. I I haven't confirmed uh, where we want to start. We've got three great topics tonight, including squeezing bags, hailing cars, and removing the stories from video games, uh, and lots of feels on all of them. So uh, where do we want to begin? Do we want to feel up the juice bag? Do we want to... I I uh, do not want to feel up the juice bag. Jesus, Lord Almighty, what a name of a title that is. Feel up the juice No, no, we're not feeling up any juice bags. That's not a thing that's happening. Oh, that sounds so wrong. No. That's that's why the CEO Hello? tells you not to. It would be like a squish sound, right? Oh. oh. Oh, wow. I think that's actually what it sounded like in that video. Did you watch the video that, that she posted? <laughs> yes. That's I think yes. that's actually the sound that it made. Yeah. It it yeah. It was actually me. Oh, yeah. I, I do like sound it effects. You're actually, you're you actually a, fo- a foley artist for Juicero in your in your copious that's spare time. Exact, yes. That's what I do. I do. A Georgia Dow Foley. I like it. This therapy thing, it's not working out. Got to branch out. Let's start this D list podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> We've moved up in the world. We're now the D list. 
Why don't we talk about juice bags first, since that seems to be uh, where our attention is is drifting. Uh, yeah, so if if you haven't heard the, this this juice juicero juicero, I have no idea how it's pronounced, but it doesn't really matter because I'll never own one. Uh, it's it, this it's pronounced scam, Micah. Is what it's, it's pronounced scam. That's this is true. <laughs> uh, it's this very expensive four hundred dollar device that it takes these these little. Pouches that are filled with uh, different vegetables and fruits, and it's got this complicated series of, of levers and pulleys and whatever to squeeze this bag of of vegetables and fruits to produce juice. And what has happened is that a Bloomberg article came out that showed, hey. If you just take that bag that they send you that's filled with the juice stuff and you cut it and you squeeze it, it'll actually make the same juice. And that pretty much sent this this thing into a hilarious uh hilarious downfall. I mean this this company has been backed by different investors and it's you know been hailed by Ivanka Trump and uh has certainly gotten some attention and now uh everyone's just like yeah just just buy the bag and squeeze it so the CEO decided to come out and say no 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 you can't squeeze the bag because if you squeeze the bag then you're completely defeating the purpose of this device which includes the fact that if the if you have a spinach recall, for example, and you have a bag that has spinach in it, the device actually won't let you squeeze the bag. The, you, you hit the button and it won't let you uh, produce the juice. Also, if you buy these bags, then you know these these things are set up so that it's a particular kind of squeeze in a particular kind of place to produce the best juice. Uh, flavor possible, so it's all. Calibrated. Say that again. Which part? Particular, the best what? The best, the best <laughs> juice, juice flavor possible is what <laughs> came out of my mouth. Uh, uh, I've been drinking too much fresh pressed juice. Juice. Yeah. Juice. And last but not least, uh, you know the, the the supply chain is very tight, and you mm. actually can't squeeze a bag with the juicer after the eight day lifespan. So if it's nine days after you buy the bag, then it won't let you. squeeze squeeze it because you know that'd be dangerous so yeah georgia um you won't be squeezing any bags because the ceo tells you not to uh what, what do you think about that <laughs> i i just love how like you know how how companies try to kind of peddle things to us to make things much more complex than they ever need to be and uh how you know the maker of keurig who this this is why because keurigs are so popular um and have made such a, a massive amount of profit that is why this juice machine that has these proprietary bags and squeezing, and you can't add your own mixed vegetables to this bag to have them squeezed for you, um, is so popular. And so it's one of those things where they, they're hoping to create the next Keurig, which is a huge environmental nightmare of little tiny pods that cannot be recycled that are being thrown out all the time. And huge wastelands are filled with these small Keurigs. And so I love the fact that people actually tested this out, looked at it, and didn't just say, well, this is a really great idea. Uh, Brie, you have a juicer. I do. I do. So Brie has a juicer. I have a juicer as well. Mine is like masticating. It's it's not this a lot a of work. Show, and it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. My, my apologies. My I, apologies. I feel like the masticating juicer. I, come on, Georgia. That masticating <laughs> juicer is very inferior technology to the auger juicer. 
I mean, everyone know that masticating your juice, that Fighting is, yeah. words. Woman, you are, you are, like, get the gloves. We are Uh-oh. going at it. We are getting I know at you're this. a big fan of masticating juicers. <laughs> I Ooh. really prefer. Ooh. Just a fan of mastication in general. Oh, really. yeah. Oh. Yeah. The whole point yeah. of a good juicer is to avoid mastication altogether. Oh. Like you just want to, you just want to drink the juice. Oh man, this is, this is, this is not going to be a pretty so, show. So this why, is not going to be a pretty show. <laughs> why is mastication better or why is the other one that you said better? What, what, auger. Auger. <laughs> what is auger. the auger Okay, Georgia, do? please give me, give me the pro-mastication argument. The pro-mastication, mastication is good because it chews the, the pulp and it gives you a little bit more fiber. So you're actually getting more fiber from a masticating juicer. So it's a little bit healthier because you're getting more fiber from it. It's also breaking down those cell walls, so it makes it much easier to be able to absorb them and uh, massively easy to clean. And actually, that's my favorite part of having a masticating juicer is that you don't end up having to clean uh, that the, you know the, the centrifuge that has everything kind of stuck into it. It takes forever. This takes... Like I would say, probably about thirty seconds to clean. It is really, really easy. Okay, now pro auger. So it breaks it down further is the easiest way. <laughs> I'm not gonna say. look, Georgia. I realize if you are masticating with your juicer, <laughs> cleanup is very important. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie to you, the auger juicer cleanup. I only does take now longer. got what you guys were were saying when you were saying what's wrong with Oh my god, that, so you've been talking about this for like 10 minutes and you're just now figuring out. Oh my god. Georgia Dow, it is it is a joy to do a podcast with someone to church is- on Sunday. I don't know what you all are talking I, yeah, about. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. This seems very unchristian like and I don't I don't know what's going on here. So the auger juicer, it's basically uh two big screws. Like, you know, just one screw is not enough for my juicer. You've got to oh get that God. double screw in it to really squeeze all that juice and just get it all out. And let me tell you, just all this pulp is just shooting all over your kitchen. It is it is everywhere. Like all this this like bits of like carrots and cucumbers. It's all just like it's all just spat out in this green haze that gets all over your sink. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's really gross. But if you are really serious about juice, I don't know why this is funny, Georgia. If you're really serious about juice. You get the auger juice. And do you know who agrees with me? Sweet Home, which is owned oh, by the Who's that? The Sweet Home. The Sweet Home. The Sweet Home. They're like a wire cutter for non techie stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't they know. They say double screw will always beat mastication. Double screw. That's right. Double screw is the way to go. No, no I, I just wanted I just wanted to jo- just to be able to contribute to this conversation. I just want to point out that my favorite juice machine juicer is actually a Coca Cola freestyle machine because I uh-huh. I can't get I can't get Cherry Fanta out of your out of your auger juicer, no matter how much it masticates. That is unnatural. 
That's not that, that. Yeah, that's uh, that's not that's not the same thing. So yeah, getting back on track a little bit. Um, I I want to touch on Georgia. You you mentioned the the Keurig 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 whatever uh, brewer. And what's interesting to me is that the original one, uh, you know, they they made these these coffee pods that were for the most part proprietary. And when they first came out, you know. Companies could pay licensing fees to make, to use these coffee pods. But after the thing was out on the market, then companies got smart and just figured out how to make the pods and then made them themselves. And so you could get like the great value brand or like the, the generic brand. So Keurig being the company that it is, uh, the interestingly money-hungry company that it is, decided to introduce this foolish uh, camera-type system where in the, the head of each of these little devices, there's this little camera that's, that is looking for a specific type of ink. So actual licensed Keurig coffee pods have to print this specialty ink around the edges of the foil. And whenever you push down, then the camera looks for that, that little ink bit And then it says, okay, this is a real thing and I will make the coffee. But non-real ones won't work in the machine. And, you know, Kirk tries to sell it by saying that, you know, their actual licensed coffee pods are going to produce better tasting coffee, blah, 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 blah. No, it's about money because they get licensing fees from each of these different uh, companies. And it's that that's exactly what's happening here with Juicero is the CEO starts to try to sell this whole thing about uh, a frazzled dad who wants to do something good for themselves while getting the kids ready for school without having to prep ingredients and clean a juicer or the busy professional who needs more greens in her life and all this other BS what really what this is about is making money off of these very particular set of or packages, rather, that have to go into the $400 machine to work. And it's kind of crummy. I mean, from the the perspective of consumerism, it makes sense. And I understand, you know, the motivation there. But my goodness, it's pretty terrible. And I tell you what, I celebrated the day that uh, I think it was Green Mountain Coffee that did it. They actually made this little insert that was just printed with the proprietary ink from Keurig. And you could stick Mm -hmm. this little insert into the machine, and it would fool it from that point on to think that it always had a Keurig coffee pod in there. And so you could buy the less expensive ones that didn't have the licensing fee baked in. And that was a good day. And the Bloomberg, that was a good day whenever they decided to squeeze these pods, I think, or pouches. Pod squeezer. Um, and, and they ended up then stopping it being proprietary and you can use now any pod because of that. Um, but also Juicero, like Juicero, you have to have this online. Yeah, you have to have your $400 juice maker attached to the internet. What's up with that? The creepy juicer, <laughs> like, what is... Well, it's... it's like, it, Jesus. Go ahead, Bree. Why do I need to talk to my juicer online? Me? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I almost feel like this has gotten a bad rap. I mean, Micah, do you mind if I ask, have you ever used a juicer before? Yeah, growing up. My grandparents would always make me juice with the juicer. I mean, it's it's a real it's a mess. It's mm-hmm. extremely extremely messy, and I mean, yeah, but look, that's because you have an auger. <laughs> oh, double screw. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Georgia Dow. Thanks, Georgia Dow. Take it out with Sweet Home. Okay, I they publish and I click buy. That's the Same. way it works. They say buy this. 
And Brianna Wu goes, yes, ma'am. And then I go, and True. True. So, so go take it up with her. True, true story. They wrote about an Audi TT on that site a couple weeks ago, and that's, that's how Brianna ended up with true. the car. They would oh, not recommend an Audi TT. Do you have your airbags all set up now? No. Do you have your juice bag set up, though? I spent so much money getting my airbag set up. We could do a whole show on my electrical system. No, what I was going to say is like, you know, this is obviously like Beverly Hills housewife, like territory, like automatic juicer. Like I get it, but I mean, I, I understand why someone would buy this and like a good real quality juicer is $400. And this subscription service is also like the juicer is $400. And then the, the things are more expensive. So I feel like, you know, I don't really just want to like knee jerk make fun of somebody for for using this because I completely we would never expect you to just case. make fun of someone unless, of course, they're on this podcast. Right, it's really true. I have to be a co host with them, and then I will do it. Um, no, and honestly, there was a teardown of this juicer, and it is just an engineering marvel inside of it. Like really, really impressive stuff. So, I kind of feel like this this whole thing has just been. Um, I feel like they've gotten a bum rap, to be honest. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a problem with them charging four hundred dollars. If it, I mean, first of all, the the reason a, a juicer, like a real juicer is so expensive is because it has to have the parts to be able to deal with whatever you're going to throw at it. Like this is already like, they're already doing all that at back at, you know, Juicero HQ or wherever they're, they're filling the pouches. So it, it you know, all it has to do is squeeze the pouch. It's not like it has Big to juice. have necessarily like a, you know, a, a grinder or a, double screw or whatever is in the middle of your juicer to to be able to process those things. But I, I think the problem is that it's it just seems like it's it feels like a lot of Kickstarters are, you know, overpromise and underdeliver in general. And this is I don't know if this was actually on Kickstarter or it was just some sort of a, it came from some sort of a other crowdfunding campaign to start with. But it just seems like if you're charging four hundred dollars for a device that is going to do something that you could do almost as well with your bare hands, uh, it, it just feels over-engineered for what it's doing. That, I think that's where the problem is. It's not that it's expensive for what it does because other juicers will cost that much. I think that it, it feels like it's overthinking the problem to some extent, and then they obviously have to double down on it, but it seems like they don't necessarily – understood they, they've they've drunk the juice so much at juicero hq <laughs> that they don't necessarily understand how this sounds to somebody who's not already like bought into their ecosystem you know okay but this is where i have to really part ways and this is where i really th- feel like they've gotten an unfair rap here the the bloomberg reporter that did this they found one of the recipes those for a green juice and it didn't have a lot of pulp in it and georgia be honest like the pulp is the pain in the butt part of the juicer right because it's mm-hmm. spitting out all these parts of carrots or like, usually you, can throw, <laughs> you can throw in kale and it will squeeze all of the liquid out of kale and then it spits out like the ground up kale leaves. Like, so they found a particular formula here that was more liquid than most. And yes, you can drink it even if it's a little pulpy. The, the, the person that owned this, 
they showed in a video another one of the recipes that had a lot more pulp in it. And mm-hmm. when the, the, the CEO said, you know, you're drinking pulp, not juice, people made fun of him. But it's absolutely true based on the video. So it feels unfair to me because some of the, the, the formulas that they send you have more things that need to be squeezed to get the pulp out of there than other ones do. And I just, I, I feel like it's people making fun of something based on a, a stereotype that's just not true. I, I think that the reason that people are so upset is because of the extent that they went to try to, um, like, that it wasn't just one thing. I think that it was many things that they really tried to make sure that they would get is, like, squeeze as much money out of people as they could. And I think that people <laughs> took offense to that. Squeeze, I get it. Ha. Huh. <laughs> it took a second, but uh, I'm there now. Um, because they had it be proprietary. So you couldn't stick your own vegetables inside of these little pouches. I think that if they had done that, I think that people would not be so abhorrently angry. They made you have to sign up. They had the QR code so you couldn't use anything beyond a very short period of time. And they'll say it's for health and safety. But if my bag of veggies can last for three weeks, then bloody well, so could this. <laughs> Um, the, the, the the fact that you, you know, you have to order a certain type from them and be able to deal with it. And, you know, I, I don't think that the price is actually a really big price for juicers. Cause yes, my juicer also is like $390 or something. It's very expensive to be able to deal with that. But then the juice is free and these bags, these pouches are expensive. They're not cheap. And this is not for a meal. This is for, you know, your breakfast or your lunch. Like it's a small meal. Like for some people that could be enough to pull them through the day. But if you're really active, you're going to be starving really soon. And so I think that it was a lot of many things. I think that they tried to take what Keurig and copy machines did and then try to make a mint off of that. But I think that they went in way too hard, way too fast. And then people ended up getting really upset, which yeah. is what people do. Yeah. And the, and the, yeah. And the other thing is that you're spending a whole bunch, a whole lot of money on something that has to be connected to the internet. So if something happens oh, to that, that company, that no, but if something happens to the company, then you have a $400 paperweight is the problem. And, and it's not like, like if you're buying a $400 juicer, you can go to the supermarket and buy whatever vegetables you want. If they, if they, go out of business or they raise they raise their prices and it's t- too high for you to be able to afford or whatever then you're stuck with this thing on your on your mm-hmm. countertop they wanted they wanted customers for life they wanted something that it's not the juicer that they make money off of it was it's their pouches that's that's the interesting thing for me is like the most the most fascinating part of this whole thing and the the thing that sticks out the most to me is actually being something that I'm interested in are the pouches because I can go to you know a local health food store and buy a smoothie that has all these things in them and it'll cost me between five and seven dollars which is what these pouches or five and eight dollars which is what these pouches cost or I could go online and like or if I could just do this as a subscription service where they send me like all of the necessary ingredients, I just throw it into my juicer or what have you. I actually would be down for that because that's that's something that 
I personally, and again, this is just you know personal opinion here. I understand that some people are fine with cutting up their own fruits and vegetables and tossing them in, but like for me, if I can go, okay, you know this this particular one says that it'll help me with my skin and it's going to provide energy and it's going to do this, that, and the other, then I want that one, and I want the one that's going to speed up my metabolism or the one that's going to do this or that, the other, and I can make sure that those are constantly provided to me with a subscription service. That actually interests me, and the thing that that ruffles my feathers and all this has like I didn't even know about this existing until the CEO responded in the way that the CEO responded and I think that at least for me is where my pushback comes from because I think that they did not he did not do uh, they did not do a good job of responding uh, in a way that was I don't know anything other than just kind of gross and silly uh, both because it was like well you know yeah you could squeeze it but don't because of this and it's like, no, but that doesn't actually mean anything. You're just trying to make that, uh, you know, a real factor. So yeah, I love the idea of these pouches. And I agree with you, Brie, like that ability to save time is actually something that interests me. And I think that that was the the value that this product provides much less the uh, squeezing bag or squeezing machine. Yeah. I mean, Blue Blue Apron is a, you know, is a fine service. If you had to spend $400 on a frying pan that you needed to use to, to make everything with, with Blue Apron, it wouldn't be quite as compelling of a service. That I think that's what it comes down to. Well, I think that's really a good analogy there, Steve. And I mean, for me, yeah, I'm not just saying this because like, you know, Blue Apron sponsors Rocket and I genuinely love them. But I think there's a real value there with Blue Apron. I mean, they're sending you all the ingredients. It's reasonable on a per meal basis. Um, you know, if the food goes bad, you know, the food goes bad. It's not like you've got something in your kitchen and the things you have to buy for Blue Apron to work. You know, it's like a good knife, a good frying pan, some olive oil. Um, you know, to me, like Georgia, you and I were sharing juicer recipes today. The mm-hmm. entire fun with the juicer is like experimenting. Like you were saying you'd like to take the, um, you know, the pith off a lemon. I, yeah. I actually prefer that because I like it more bitter. Right. So right, if you're right. locked into this ecosystem, especially when it's another Keurig, like, you know, energy earth destroying system, I just, I don't feel good about like supporting that. If they came to us to tomorrow and said we want to sponsor disruption, I don't think I could ethically do that with them because it's I'd just yes. a very different service. But then we yeah. get to make fun of them after. Yeah. Um. And, and, we should, and we should just take a second to point out that Blue Apron is not sponsoring this episode either, just just so we're clear. I think we, I'm think i not sure if we said that or not, so just to be really clear about that. Uh, can I can I say something, Bree, to, to you and I in our, our masticating versus auger juicer fight? Sure. Okay. Uh, I think they're the same thing. Are they really? Oh, wow. <laughs> Mine has a big, large Wait. screw in the middle of it that chews up. <laughs> the double screw is the same as mastication? I don't have the... I, I don't have... I have a single auger, but there's dual augers. Ah. Mine's a single auger. My juicer has screw. five augers. So, so <laughs> I think that they're the same... Um, yeah. See, Georgia, this is another example of, you know, two sidesism and, you know, big yes. corporations trying to keep us arguing with each other. So. Right. I agree. Uh, one last. Here, this is a picture of my juicer just to, to see. I still just really want to be on the record for saying I'm 100% against mastication technology. <laughs> I just, I really, I think it's of the devil. Um, they, I, 
you know, people will, will decide how they decide, but I do want to note that uh, the Juicero, Juicero, again, I don't know how to pronounce it, their packs are compostable and recyclable. Uh, just an important note because, uh, on the other hand, Keurig uh, has not been that great about stepping up and making sure that all of their stuff is compostable and recyclable. Yeah. So, uh, they're, at least. They're $400 paperweight on your countertop, less so. But, you know. Yeah, but, you know, you just turn that into a robot or something else that you can use. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about our friends at Indeed Prime, because this episode is sponsored by Indeed Prime. Indeed Prime helps software engineers land their dream job. Candidates get immediate exposure to the best tech companies with just one simple application to Indeed Prime. That's right. You just go on, you leave one application, and it goes out to all the different people that are looking to recruit you. Companies on Prime's exclusive platform message candidates with salary and equity up front, and the average salary offer for software engineers is $125,000. You can buy a lot of pouches with that. Indeed Prime is 100% free for candidates with no strings attached. Invite your friends to Indeed Prime, and they'll give you $200 when they get contacted by a company and $2,000 when they accept a job through Prime. Start referring now at Indeed.com slash Prime slash referral. That's two Slashes, slash prime, slash referral. Our thanks to Indeed Prime for sponsoring this episode of Disruption. All right, friends, who wants to complain about people who who uh, have some very strong opinions on storytelling in video games? I mean, Death I'm, to uh, them. I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> Okay, I don't. So, I don't ever complain about anything, Micah. So I probably have to sit this one out. That is a lie. The, <laughs> the biggest lie I've ever heard of all the lies in all of the lying world. You stand alone, sir, with your lie. Uh, I read through this, and what I am understanding is that Ian Bogost uh, suggests that video games don't really need to tell stories because. Video games are a different medium from things like uh, movies and TV shows. And to to try and create the holodeck video game with Captain Janeway, uh, it, it's, it's so far out there and so impractical, allegedly, that it makes no sense to try. And why go for making this absolutely beautiful narrative like the holodeck whenever you can just, you know, take something as simple as a, a soccer ball and a, and a person in a field and put those together to make a soccer ball game. So, yeah, I, I read this and I, uh, you know, raised my eyebrow in some places. And I am curious. Uh, this is this is a topic better suited for those who uh, you know play video games regularly and care about video games and care about stories told in video games. So please, for the love of God, take this topic away from me and and get going, friends. Well, I think I would say, like, I mean, this this piece really hit the game dev world by storm this week. It really pissed off a lot of my friends, and for very good reasons. I mean, here you've got this white cisgender male video game academic that's kind of really just disrespecting just completely delegitimizing the work of so many of the women I know in the field and you know I'm not going to go and give names but you know it's it's it was really just very arrogant 
And imagine if you're somebody that's worked your entire career to tell stories within these engineering frameworks, and then this guy comes along, insults you with this clickbait headline, and then, and especially because some of the most exciting, interesting work in our game, in our industry, is done around stories. Like, there's a fantastic game called Dysphoria that is 100% about uh, transgender people experiencing gender dysphoria. It's a 100% story. It is a very powerful piece of work. Look at Zoe Quinn's Depression Quest. It's a 100% story. Look at Danganronpa. I have very fierce feelings about that game. And, you know, it's just really... It's it's doing this thing where a white cisgender straight man comes along and just delegitimizes everything else without any understanding of the privilege mountain he's coming from. And and it just it's it's just, like the whole tone of the article, like these games didn't didn't appeal to me, so why even try? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really the like the the impression that I got of the article, and, and he takes aim at a lot of game at a number of games like Gone Home and and the first Bioshock that really they they advanced narrative in video games in meaningful ways, and just says basically, well, these you know these would have been better told in a movie. Well, me maybe. I mean, like to be fair, like I had that feeling about Beyond Two Souls. Like I felt like I would have rather watched that as a six-hour miniseries. But I, but there is some val there. There is value also in the way it was presented. But something like Gone Home is a game where you're where you're exploring at your own pace and then kind of piecing the story together as you go, and it it makes you invested in that story in a way that. Um, that a movie really wouldn't. And and that's not to say that that's going to be effective for everybody, which is fair, right? Like, we don't all like different things. Like, we've talked about Journey on Isometric, where Journey's a, a game that really affected me emotionally and Bria didn't do anything for you, and that's that's okay, right? But it it still has no, that... it's a, not. Oh. <laughs> my, my way is the only way, Steve. No, I, I think that's dead on, <laughs> Steve. I mean, like, Danganronpa would not be a good... It, it wouldn't be as effective a novel or a movie. It just wouldn't. It's something about that. And this is what really pisses me off about this piece. Like, Ian is a well-respected academic in his field. So he should know that there are studies out there that show the different motivations people have for playing games. There is some people play for competition. That's their psychological motivation, so beating other people up. Some people play because they enjoy sandbox worlds. They enjoy, like, abstractly affecting their environment. Some people play because they enjoy stories. Some people play because they like really mastering mechanics. Some people play because they like uh, arcadey, fast, uh, overwhelming experiences. And, you know, the psychological reasons that we have for playing games are also varied. And he knows that there's a large group of people out there that the story for playing games is their only reason for playing. And, and I guess the thing is that it's still an evolving medium to some extent. I mean, it's it's only maybe 20 years or so that we've really had narrative and games presented the way that it, that it is today. You know, going back to really, I mean, it's it's been before ha- the first Half Life, but you know this this type of games that we're that we're seeing today, and it takes a while for a medium to kind of find the best way for it to be used. I mean, 
movies essentially weren't doing anything better than stage plays were, aside from the fact that you could, you know, transport them. They were basically recorded stage plays to start with. And same thing with radio to some extent, too. In fact, you could argue that a radio play was even worse than a regular play because you couldn't actually see what was going on. And that's not to say that those mediums didn't necess- didn't find they didn't find the right way to do what they want what they what they were trying to do and i would argue a lot of these games do fi- did find a, a way to do what they're trying to do and but if that's not effective for him that's okay well it, it's not but it, it's okay but that doesn't mean that it's that those games don't have merit at all and to to dismiss those games as failed and, you know, use the term walking simulator and, and, you know, put it in scare quotes and then basically call them all walking simulators. It dismisses the, it, not only the people who make the games, but the people who enjoy those games. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, if I felt something emotional from journey or from gone home, or if I was like legitimately thrown at the ending to the original Bioshock, does that mean that I'm a dope? You know, you know, I mean, I am, but, but does that, you know, that means that maybe I'm not, I, I'm not entitled to those feelings too. So it just seems like, I, you know, he's got his preferences and that's fine. And there, the only like legitimate argument that one could make is that is one that John Syracuse has made around Journey, which is that the mechanical skills needed for some of these games, less so gone home, more so like Bioshock and Journey, keep some people from being a, a large, a lot of people in some cases from being able to experience the entirety of those stories. Um, that's yeah. like a legitimate criticism that you could make of, uh, you know, a game, you know, in making narrative the focus of the story. But that's not the argument that he's making. He's just making the argument that, well, these games didn't appeal to me and didn't do as well as they would have if I was just sitting down and watching a movie. So why should they even try? You don't have any my anger, Mike or Georgia? Come on. <laughs> I was actually going to see if, yeah, if Georgia had anything else to add to this. Well, I just think that it's interesting how how it, there's an increasing amount of people that think that their one opinion is the true opinion or the only opinion or because they have that opinion, then that has to be right. I, I think that we do a disservice to others and I think that you do a disservice to yourself because it's a very closed-minded way to look at the world. It happens more and more often. I think that a lot of news stories, they have someone that speaks their opinion but never states that that's their opinion. They say that this is just right because this is how I feel. and. I think that that's exceptionally invalidating and I, and makes people really upset because of that reason to it. Because you're, you're pretty much saying that what you think doesn't matter and it's also wrong. And you kind of miss out on all of the diversity that's around us and it makes for you to be more closed-minded and less apt to find a better way to be able to do things if there is one out there. So, you know, I think that stories can be great in video games and I think that in some type cases they're unnecessary, but I think that it's the the manner in which you approach the subject that's more important than whether or not you do it. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing here for me, at least, because again, I I I, I barely consume any media at all and really don't consume video game media and so you know speaking from that perspective it's it's hard for me to uh understand arguments on any of the sides but what i can say is 
coming from the point of just someone who's a reader of these of these types of articles like nowhere on here does it mention that this is an opinion piece and it's and so in that sense it's not you know the atlantic is putting this forward and ian is putting this forward as uh as just a thing that is a fact or that it you know exists and that's where the problem is because I think it's important that people are allowed to have opinions and we can agree or disagree with them and share our opinion in response to those things. But when, as Georgia, you just said, whenever you're putting it forward as fact and your personal experience becomes the only uh, experience that makes sense because there's nothing in here that is laying out facts. You know, there aren't numbers and, and uh, data that proves one thing or the other. This is literally about experiences that this one person has had. And that's a problem because you can't just say that what you experience suddenly makes uh, a situation absolute fact. And I honestly think that this is one of the biggest problems in tech journalism altogether is that tech journalists lack empathy. And so many times you see reviews and you see posts and you see opinion pieces and you see all these things that are based on what the one person has experienced. And it's so much different from what many, 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 many people experience. But they take that and they say, oh, because this is how I feel about it and this is the way that I've experienced this product, then this is the uh, gospel truth of how everyone will use this product and how everyone will feel about it. And and that's just wrong. And I think that, you know, we need we need more empathy across the board as humans, but I think it's especially lacking in tech journalism and in video game journalism. I, I do wanna I do wanna just add, like he's he is considered uh, you know, a respected academic in this field, but I think it's worth saying, like that is also a system that is getting increasing amounts of criticism for leaving women out. Um, you know, I speak at a lot of colleges and I sure talk to a lot of students and graduate students that, you know, feel like their voice is not heard in their department. So, you know. Okay. All that is left is, you know, it's my my favorite company to talk about, friends. Uh, our dear friends at Uber, uh, and by dear friends, I certainly don't mean that. Uh, They're more like frenemies, Micah. Yeah, there we go. Frenemies. Frenemies. No, not even that. So the CEO of Uber, uh, good old Travi K., uh, had a write-up in the New York Times by Mike Isaac that kind of gave a profile on who Travis is and kind of where he came from and started, uh, you know, this, there was no lead buried, I think, in this. This is interesting that uh, for once we see the lead right up front. Uh, turns out that Uber was doing some really, uh, I mean, turns out, uh, who, who would have guessed? <laughs> Uber was doing some really, really crummy stuff where they were leaving little bits of code on iPhones after the app was deleted so that if you downloaded the app in the future, your exact iPhone could be, or your iOS device could be identified again. So it's called device fingerprinting and it is explicitly against the rules. And instead of removing the app upon learning that Uber was violating the rules, uh, Travi K had a meeting with um, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, in 2015, where uh, Cook was like, hey, uh, we need you to stop breaking the rules or we're going to pull your app. And so uh, Uber 
you know, stopped breaking those rules, <laughs> those very specific rules. And last but not least, I'll say this, that it was, it's interesting to see uh, Mike Isaac goes on to explain all of the different ways that Travi K uh, runs Uber in a very gray area of, of breaking rules when possible and asking forgiveness later. I love that you're calling him Travi K. That's my favorite. That's my favorite part of this, Micah. That's the fresh angle that I've there not we go. seen covered yet. Yeah, I I have to say, Mike Isaac is such a nice person, and I can't say that for all the journalists I know that work at the Times. And I just I think he's such a delightful person, and this is it's such a well reported story, and. It's, I realize there's a lot of, um, very correct criticism to aim at, um, you know, and unroll me, uh, and, you know, Apple to a certain extent. But I do feel frustrated that, you know, so little of that discussion was about Uber because, like, they're the ones that are, like, really breaking every tenet of ethics here. I mean, Micah, you didn't get into this in your, your, your foreword, but, like, they were setting geofences around Cupertino mm-hmm. to, like, check to see if, you know, Apple was going to be testing out their stuff to, like, short-circuit their oversight <laughs> process. I mean, that's not... That's not normal behavior, you know what? Because nobody mean? at Apple ever leaves the office to run any of these tests either. Like, right? Of course not. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh that thinking God. is is <sighs> is so screwy. It's like instead of just not doing the thing, he was like, "Oh, you just set up some geofences, so when they test the app, that part won't show where we're device fingerprinting." That is gross. <laughs> yeah, really uncomfortable. Uh, this this okay. I'm I'm I, I want to hear I want to hear the opinions on this. Uh, you know there were multiple things that sort of unfolded, and Bree, I think you touched on that, and and stories at least in our little corner of the universe that uh, unfolded from this and got more attention than Uber itself. But you know I I am curious because uh, I actually talked to a friend of the me Joe Steele about the fact that Apple didn't start by pulling this app. And there were people, you know, who ruffled their feathers about uh, Apple not immediately pulling the app whenever they found out that it was breaking the rules, because of course there are developers in places other than Apple headquarters that are checking these apps. They they left it in and brought uh, the you know brought the brought Travi K uh, to the office and, and had the conversation and said do this or else we will pull. Now here is something that I think is important to consider and I'm curious if you all think that I'm foolish in in saying this. You know, Apple and Google owning gigantic app stores that are uh, frequented by quite a few people and are essentially some of the uh, most important places for going and spending money on different things uh, these these are these are huge stores and huge buckets of money that exist in in all these different apps that we use on our phone and you know visit via the computer and if you think about it if apple were to have pulled uber this gigantic ride hailing service that is not only used by a lot of people, but also is a means to an end for a lot of people in terms of having money that they need. That is that that is that has an opportunity to make a pretty big dent in in you know the money that's flowing back and forth in any, on any given day. And I think that that is an example of how powerful 
companies like Apple and Google are in being able to control money in the economy. And if if Apple were to have said, let's just pull this and all of that money just, you know, hit the ground because suddenly company, you know, uh, individual users couldn't get access to Uber and, and do all the stuff that they needed to do, that kind of is a flag for, I don't know, the FTC probably would be the closest organization that I could think of. They'll be like, you know, actually, these companies do have pretty big monopolies over <laughs> some very important and very uh, high-value companies, and this is an interesting thing that we now need to be looking into. And so I'm just curious. I mean, do you all feel like Apple should have just went ahead and pulled it because, doggone it, that's what they would have done with a small app and it's only because they have a bajillion users that they're pulling it, yada, yada, yada. Or do you think that, you know, Apple made the smart move here by waiting and at least giving the company a heads up because such a big app would literally cause a lot of trouble uh, for, I guess, a lot of people? What do you think? I I, I think that that that's the reason. I don't think that Apple has any qualms really about pulling Uber. It's not even close to the same scale as what Apple has. And But I do think that it would have cost a lot of uh, people really would have been upset. And they would have been upset not at Uber for doing the wrong thing. They would have been upset at Apple. And in the end, I understand yeah. Apple's need to protect their uh, brand and the way that they're looking at it and to have a conversation to make sure that this was going to be fixed. I think that there should be some sort of, you know, a, a sanctioning of some sort would have been good as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that it just affects too many people's day-to-day lives and you know, we can think of a place of position, all of us being in work and, and doing well, that it wouldn't have been a big deal if we can't get an Uber, we can't get to somewhere. But for other people that are going on job interviews, or this might be their time of testing, and this could be a really big deal to them and could have caused a lot of problems with that because it's used by so many people. And that's another reason why this is such a big deal. So I understand why Apple was not going to be dropping the hammer on Uber for this. Yeah, I have to say, I feel like the people that are advocating that course of action don't talk to many Uber drivers. I mean, I always talk to my Uber drivers. It's people that are, you know, struggling to, you know, take care of their kids. Like, it's almost always people that have a second job that they're, you know, running because of, you know, no one makes a living wage in this country anymore. So I I get fairly annoyed at, you know, kind of developers that are, you know, they want justice for them and they're willing to, you know, hurt people to, to do it. So I, I don't think Apple was wrong to like give them a warning, but, um, you know, I really wish they'd come forward with, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and just have been more honest about, you know, the, the, the probable breaches to their security system. I mean, Uber was sideloading, uh, you know, part of the, you know, iOS, uh, framework system. They just should not have had, have had access to. Yeah. I I think Mm -hmm. that it's the only, the only counterpoint to that is that you would like to see Apple have a consistent approach, in general, you know what I mean? Like I, this, this story that happened happened like three months after um, James Thompson had PCALC pulled from the App Store for making use of the widget functionality in iOS 8. Eventually, they reversed course after a bunch of the tech blogs took that took that cause up. But he's not getting afforded that kind of that kind of courtesy. And it's not that 
um, you know, necessarily they should have pulled the app right away and disrupt a whole bunch of people's lives. But it feels weird that Uber gets that kind of consideration when they're not taking that kind of consideration for, you know, a small developer who's re- who's relying on that revenue for their for their livelihood also. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's a smaller scale, but you would like to see them behave more consistently when you have similar types of things, especially when the you know, when this is as egregious as it was, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily they should have gone the other way and just pulled the thing out. But you would like to see them have more compassion for the smaller developers that they do for the larger for the larger shops. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I think uh, it's all it's it's dangerous anytime we advocate for incredibly strict black and white regulations because there are always going to be situations where it makes more sense to kind of pull away and 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 look at things but yeah in terms of uh you know feels uh, uh subjective feels for like smaller developers i get where that argument and where that consideration comes from i just think that uh in this instance i uh, understand like apple's side of things and and uh how how that was handled and i think that Again, personally, this is an opinion. This is not me using any sort of thing to say that this is, you know, the fact. It seemed like the right way to do it. But by golly, Brie, you're so dead on about them. Really, why did the, you know, if this had not come out in the New York Times article or some other way, we would not have heard about it. We would not have heard that Uber was doing this at some point. And I think that it's so important that we have that information available to us and know how different apps and services are using our data, even in ways that they're not supposed to, so that we can make an educated decision on whether we want to continue to use those services. You know, will I keep squeezing the bag or am I going to just get a masticating (laughs) auger juicer and move on? (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) I got nothing. I I mean, I guess guess the, 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 the only thing is, right, like, I think that we care a lot about these types of things. I think that most most normal people generally they're not it's not going to stop them from doing a whole lot like i like i said i had i just found unroll me like because i was like stupid one day and decided to sign up for the thing and i know what i'm doing right or at least i think i i say i know what i'm doing i clearly don't that being the case like it was enough of a benefit to me that i signed up for the thing not thinking about what they were going to potentially be doing with my data later on and i think that you you get to a point where there's so much of this stuff going on that you just kind of give up and it's well if they're not misusing it this way somebody else is misusing it another way so which is sad that we're to that point but i think the point is that if apple is going to be kind of the the champion of privacy then they need to take that responsibility seriously and you know, talk about how what they've done to keep this kind of thing from happening in the future. Like this is two years ago that this happened. They should, you know, it's not always prudent to be able to talk about some sort of of a uh, security hole like this right afterwards until you've patched it. But presumably they patched in the subsequent releases of the operating system. They should be able to come out and talk about this now and talk about what they're doing to keep this from happening again. And I don't I don't know if I've seen that. I, I'm, I've been, you know, the white papers or anything. Yeah. Like, like since that, since that kind of thing has happened, you know? Yeah. Well, Travi K is counting on you <laughs> to, to take the, 
eh, I don't care approach. And that, you know, I think you're right. A lot of people do do that. And uh, that's why Trevor Kay can pull the moves that he makes. Um, I want to talk, want to move on to talk about, or we want to move on to talk about some follow up. Uh, if you remember, if you recall, uh, the, the monkey flies alone was the title of the last episode. And I put out the call for people to send in their recipes for drinks. And so here are a few uh, beverage recipes that people sent in. So there's one from at I wild. That's with an E at the end. And it says, obviously a monkey calls for rum. You catch flies with honey. So you need a sugared rim. Loneliness equals tomato juice mixed to your liking. So we've got a rum and tomato juice, uh, drink with a sugared rim on the glass. So what Ooh. do we think about rum and tomato juice? Cause I don't know. I don't know about that. And I like, I'm like, I like, um, I could do vodka a lot of and tomato juice and juice. like uh, like a Caesar. I I like that, but I don't know about rum. I've never done rum and tomato juice. Yeah, I, uh, it sounds uh, really sick. Just to really be honest, <laughs> it's, sounds, it's getting close to really nasty juice. Eh? I I just want to say it's not God's plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's not God's plan. Not God's I'm plan. pretty sure okay. this whole podcast was not part of God's plan. This is also, so. yeah, this is very true. Not sanctioned <laughs> by God. Uh, at BFAD uh, said that you should do half a, th- I'm on board with this one, by the way. Half a shot of banana liqueur and two shots Ooh. of Irish cream. And they make the point that that is better than Bree's nasty juice. So half a shot of banana liqueur and two shots of Irish cream. Hmm. Big words saying it's better than Bree's nasty juice. <laughs> That's tough talk. It's high bar, Christian really. sounding talk. Yeah. And then my, my favorite one is uh, from at James yeah. One Gal, and that is simply one ounce of monkey shoulder whiskey served neat. I am all about just some some nice uh, whiskey served neat. So there's a there's a whiskey called Monkey Shoulder, and Monkey Shoulder. Yeah, blended malt scotch whiskey, and there are actually on the bottle, there are these little monkey charms that are embedded into the shoulder of the bottle. And now I must find some monkey shoulder whiskey and serve it neat for my own glass of The Monkey Flies Alone. There All right, do, we, do we have any questions this week, Steve? I, I, well, we... No, uh, my only question is how any of these pair with pineapple on pizza. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. <laughs> We've already talked you about mastication and double I'm allergic. And... Oh, are you? I forgot. Yeah. What, to pineapple? Yeah. Oh, you're so lucky to be excluded from this narrative, let me tell you. <laughs> I think that I used to like it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Excluded from the narrative. Uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, before before I can hear you say it, Micah, you're about to close the show. Um, I have a, I I want just a minute to talk to you about something, Georgia, that is is serious, and I would love to get some opinions on this. So, I have a reasonably I wouldn't call her a friend, but she's somebody I know, and I have been so concerned lately because she keeps talking about her therapist. To me, in ways of phrasing it like she's a, a swear-to-God enemy of, of my friend, like she's out to get her, and she, she's claiming things like, oh, my therapist is saying A, B, and C to me, 
And in my mind, I'm just going like, if your therapist is actually saying that, like she needs to lose her license because that would be so unethical. And I guess like, I, I wanted to ask you, I've, I've seen this phenomenon before where people treat their therapist like they're an enemy somehow of them, or they, they put their problems onto them. And I can only read that as like projection. So I, I was just wondering if like you might have a, a thought or two about that because it just, it really weirds me out. And I have to think it's got to be even weirder if it's your job and your patient hates you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really hope my people don't hate me. Um, it, it does happen sometimes. So sometimes we end up, and, and sometimes that's some of the best sessions are where like, uh, and it depends on what type of therapist you are. I don't. I am not the most um, opaque, uh, non-directive therapist. I'm. I'm kind of much more open and honest, and I am who I am. And so there's less chance. But there are certain areas of therapy where you are a very blank slate, um, non-directive kind of non-verbal therapist. And so you become whomever they need to. So you could become the mom if you're angry at their mom, or you could be something else. And that in some cases can work through certain issues of which you are dealing with. Um, I do sometimes have people be very upset at me where I, I know it's not about me. It's about something else that they're dealing with, but they can't be angry at that person. And so they end up being able to be angry with me. It doesn't actually bother me because it kind of comes with the role that you're dealing with where I, and I, I don't think that I've ever had someone feel like I am against them and not really fighting for them because of the way that the the type of therapy that I give and the manner in which I give it, it's very, we're working together as a team. It's not like I know better than you do and I'm going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes it will be directive, but mostly we're working on a team together and seeing what works and trying to figure it out. Um, Almost like we're doing an experiment together to see better which way your life would work and why is it not working that way to it. But it it can be kind of difficult. I think that for some people, it also is not working. It might not be a healthy relationship between you and your therapist. And even if it started out as healthy, sometimes therapeutic relationships become something that is no longer healthy. Or sometimes your therapist has given that relationship has gone through its time and now it's time to move on. I I hear a lot of really non-productive therapeutic stories and and sometimes for some reason you've gotten too close or you've been hurt or it's not really helping to make it better. It's it's kind of making it worse. And so that also is something that I usually think about when I hear someone that's having a very antagonistic relationship with the person that's supposed to be there to help them through difficult times. Um, but that that isn't without saying that sometimes it doesn't mean that it isn't healthy, but they're going through a stage to that. But it does make me wonder, is this still helpful to that? And the, the therapist should, it's not just up to the client if, if you know, you're a therapist and listening and it's not working out for you and you're not finding it, you should talk to your person about that and say, like, this seems to be that we're, we're doing a lot of battling. What do you think it is? And, and let's kind of feel, feel it around and see what's happening with that. So can I ask a follow-up question to that real quick? Like, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case with any of the people that have been discussed in the course of this question, but like, how do you know as a patient, like if it's, if, if it really is that the relationship has run its course, as opposed to say, they're telling you a bunch of things that you really just don't want to hear. And you're not at a point where you're receptive to hear them or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, how can you tell what the difference is? Yeah. I think that it's really hard no matter what, if you are, 
you know, in the same place week after week with the same issues and you're not getting there, it could be that it's not the right match anymore. It could be that the therapist isn't giving advice that you're ready for. Like you you may not be ready and that's just fine. You don't have to be ready and that's okay as well. And it could be that the therapeutic relationship has kind of um, finished to where it should be. And it's the first step is that if you're kind of in the same place and you're not feeling it, um, sometimes like having a bad, difficult session is not a bad session. That's sometimes helpful. But going nowhere is definitely one of the first signs that this may not be working there. That being said, some people have a therapeutic relationship that is just to discuss and talk about things and they don't really want to change. They just want the validation and have someone speak. And that is absolutely fine if that is the type of therapy that you give or the therapy that you enjoy hearing. But usually that's the first step that I go, hmm. And if your therapist is strong enough, they'll say, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm able to help you with this or if this is being useful anymore. You know, you may, you know, we may want to take a look and see how that is in a really nice way that's kind of together and say, like, I'm still here if you want to see me, but you may want to also try, you know, this type of therapy for this that you're dealing with because I'm not sure if my techniques are the techniques that are going to help you as much and then to speak to them about it. So having that open dialogue with your therapist, and this could be hard for a therapist to hear as well because, you know, you take it personally, the people that you care for, and try to, to help out through that, to have them say, I'm not sure that this is working, can be difficult for them as well. Yeah, I've had to break up with therapists before. It's really yeah. awkward. Like, it's you're hard. Like, um, well, you know, it's like you want to be respectful because someone's like helping you week after week. And you know they have good intentions. But like uh, the guy I was seeing before I went to my current you know trauma specialist, I had been like, I felt like it was an entire year I put into therapy and just got nothing out of it. And yeah. I came in one day and I'm like, yeah, I'll respect to you. I got to go in a different direction. I am just not getting anything out of the same work. And I could see it on his face. It really hurt him. And yeah. that's not something I enjoyed doing, but like, I really felt like I had not grown in an entire year, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And you should like, really, if, if you're doing treatment, like, you know, within six weeks, you should you should notice something or at least feel that connection to it. It's hard. It's it's really it's similar to um, dating. Like you, you have this very personal um, relationship that if you don't have that feeling of comfort or intimacy, it's not really going to get you to where you need to go. And it's not doesn't mean that they're a bad therapist. It just might not be the right match to that. But the problem is, is a lot of therapists um, may not be fully booked. And so they may not say it when they know, you know what, this isn't really working out. I'm not really able to help you. And, you know, your, your goal should be to help people live their own lives and, and independently of you, not become dependent upon you. Well, thank you, Georgia. And thank you. let us round things out. If you would like to get in touch, here is exactly how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532. That voicemail is still open. You can leave us voicemails that will play on the show and answer your question. We love them. You can tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me, or just send us a direct message if you'd rather keep things private. As always, please let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. You can find 
find the show notes at relay.fm slash disruption or by looking in that podcast app you're using. And if you are looking for me online, you can find me at chihuahua.coffee per usual. Steve, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Um, they can find me playing uh, very narrative intensive card games on the internet or <laughs> or you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. Brie, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Well, you know, uh, if you want to support my campaign, you can go to supportbriana.com. Um, I'm really excited about some of the things that are about to uh, come out in the next couple of weeks. You're going to see some really exciting uh, announcements by my campaign. Um, so you can also see me on Twitter at uh, the account. What's my username? Uh, what is it? Uh, it's Georgia space cat underscore yeah. da- Oh, oh, space cat. That's gal. it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, Juicero Squeezer seventy five at yahoo.com uh, Yes, that's it. That's last correct. but not least, the queen. Ew, ew. The queen of the <laughs> scary, creepy Juicero noise sound, uh, Georgia Dow. If people are looking for you online, where can they find you? You can send all of your Juicero love to at Georgia <laughs> underscore Dow on Twitter, or if you're dealing with Juicero anxiety, you can check out anxiety-videos.com. Beautiful. I love it. And last but not least, it's time for Steve to do that thing he does every week. So, Steve, please do take it away. The juice is loose. <laughs> oh, God. I, I could have gone without a Right. I'm, out. I'm tapping out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. And that's how uh, the podcast ends, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>